Would you like to know how to create the ultimate nursing resume? Well, between me and my guest, Amanda Guarneri of the Resume RX, you have the resources to create a resume that gets the job done. Thanks for tuning in to episode 261 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I am so, so grateful you're here, whether it's your first time listening or you've been hanging out with me here for months or possibly even years. I thank you no matter when you started tuning in. Thanks for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is all about you and your nursing career, and I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, medicine, technology, and beyond. And did you know you can leave a rating and review for the Nurse Keith Show over on iTunes and Apple Podcasts? It really helps other people find the show. And if you do so, please email me at keith at nursekeith.com and I will read your review on air and thank you personally. If you would do that for me, I would be incredibly grateful. Meanwhile, if you want to see the show notes for this episode, you'll definitely want to head over to nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 261. And today we are welcoming Amanda Guarneri of the ResumeRx.com. And Amanda, let's just jump right into it. What is so important about a resume in the 21st century marketplace? Keith, a resume these days really serves as... Um, your first impression with your potential employer. So I like to refer to it kind of like a handshake or um, kind of that conversation before a first date. It's really that opportunity to really give a lasting first impression that will hopefully lead to an interview and then your dream job. So that's really good to hear. And, you know, in the 21st century with all this technology and stuff, there are certain jobs that happen to have different ways of applying. Like on LinkedIn, if you apply for your job, your profile serves as your application and they may not even ask for a resume. But from my experience, and I'm wondering if you corroborate this, the vast majority of jobs still require a resume to be either uploaded, emailed, or handed to someone, right? Yes, I totally agree. Um, There are certainly jobs that are favoring LinkedIn, but the majority still requires you to have some sort of either digital or hard hard copy of your resume. And, And even if you're applying to a job where they use your LinkedIn profile, it's always good to have something in your hand when you arrive to an interview. And you can't really do that with something that's purely digital. That's true. And a lot of people come to me who have a resume, but they haven't been hunting for a job for a while. Like maybe they've had a decent job for a few years, you know, lucky for them. And they're like, oh my God, I need to send this in tomorrow. And I haven't updated my resume for six years. And I always say, you know how you, um, you're supposed to check the batteries in your smoke alarms and carbon monoxide detectors twice a year when you turn the clocks back or forward. So I always say, look at your resume when you do that twice a year. Do you give similar advice in terms of keeping it updated, even if you're not looking for a job? Yes, absolutely. I usually have a rule of thumb of at least once a year, 
ideally quarterly, um, but I like to tie it to some sort of anchor. So like you said, either changing the clocks back or forward, um, or commonly for nurses, if you work in a hospital and there's some sort of annual evaluation, I always think that's the perfect time to update your resume because you may also be putting together your other credentialing documents and um, you may have to submit a resume annually to your employer as well. So that's the anchor I like to recommend. That's good. Yeah, an anchor or a trigger or something that's going to make you do it. And I always recommend if you use Google Calendar or Yahoo Calendar, put it in your calendar annually at least and have it repeat with a notification. And then you'll get the notification and hopefully you'll pay attention to it. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Have resumes changed in character or what we're expected to do or not do with a resume in the 21st century? Is anything different now? Well, there are a couple things that have changed in terms of what to include and the the style of, of how to include things. For example, in the past, uh, it was common to write objective across the top and say, you know, my objective is to get a new grad nurse residency program at such and such hospital, for example, and that would just be the one line on the top of the resume. Um, but these days, it's more powerful Uh, to include a professional profile or professional summary, which expands on that objective a little bit. And rather than showing what you're interested in doing as the applicant, it kind of shows what the employer is looking for and what type of value you can add to their organization. So expanding on that objective section a little bit um, can be helpful so that you can really show the value that you um, have the potential to add as an employee. That's great. And anyone who works with me as a career, you know, as a client of my career coaching, I always disabuse them of that habit of having an objective. And we always do a summary. So that's been my my norm for a long time. So I'm glad you agree. I'm on the right track. (laughs) (laughs) You're the super duper expert. I, I have expertise, but you're like notches above. So that's why I wanted to have you on the show and have my audience and my clients have the benefit of your your largesse and your generosity and your knowledge and expertise. So thank you. Yeah. So prior to this conversation, you mentioned this idea of scrolling for jobs and younger nursing professionals having this sense of there's oversaturation out there in the market. So can you explain that concept and how you view it? Sure. I uh, deal with a lot of nursing students or nurses who are earlier in their careers, and I keep hearing similar messages of markets being oversaturated. There aren't enough nursing jobs or even in the nurse practitioner world that, you know, people are um, spending months, if not years, looking for positions. And when I ask how they're looking for jobs, nine times out of 10, the response is, oh, well, I'm scrolling on, you know, Indeed.com or LinkedIn or Glassdoor, wherever it is. And I'm just clicking and applying to everything that I may be qualified for. Um, and the problem with that is that's what everyone else is doing. No kidding. And, <laughs> and, right. And when, if you want to be a standout applicant, you have to kind of zag when everyone else is zigging, so to speak, you know, you have to do something different and it's very passive to sit and scroll, um, and point and click and apply for a position. Um, and it's not going to go, um, and set you apart from the other hundreds, if not thousands of applicants for that same job. So what happens is a very, very small percentage of applicants get those interviews or get those offers. And then it creates this kind of misconception of oversaturation because the people who aren't getting called 
figure that there just isn't anything out there for them, but they may not be looking in the right place. Right. So what do you tell people who tell you that everything's oversaturated? Do you just say that you need to figure out how to differentiate yourself, like print your resume on hot pink fluorescent paper and, you know, put a picture of a sunset at the top? I mean, <laughs> what do we <laughs> what do we tell people about that particular we could call it a myth or misconception maybe is better. So I actually tell them to kind of flip their process backwards. So rather than looking to see what jobs are out there and then applying to what jobs they see, um, I have them make a list of places where they would ideally like to work and then have them look into those organizations directly or approach them and express their interest in working for that organization, regardless of whether or not there are job postings. Because the best case scenario would be to get a job before um, it's posted or to have a referral into a position. Um, so that working backwards technique can be really helpful. And if there's also a job posting, then that's kind of a bonus that you already know that there's a vacancy. I see. Have you been reading my mail? <laughs> you caught me, Keith. I, <laughs> Guilty oh as charged. God, how did you do that? So <laughs> when people come to me and they're looking for a job, I use this particular metaphor and I'll just explain it to you because you and I have never talked about this. And for people who haven't heard me say it, they'll hear it now. And for those who have, they can take a nap for about 25 or 30 seconds. So the metaphor I use is that the job search process is like a three-legged stool. So one leg of the stool is the nuts and bolts, like your resume, your LinkedIn profile, your business card, and I think everyone needs a business card, uh, cover letter, etc. So like all those basic things. So the stool's going to fall over if you just use that. Now, the, the next leg is networking. It's actually getting out there and talking to people, pounding the pavement figuratively on LinkedIn and Twitter and everywhere else online. And then then literally like going to places and meeting people and stalking nurse hiring managers. Now, I don't really mean that, but, you know, it's really getting out there in the world physically and getting face to face with people. And then the third part is because the, the stool is still going to fall over with only two legs. So the third part is really being very, very clear about what you want, having a plan, having a mission in terms of what you want. And so you have all of those tools in your tool belt, everything's ready. You have a process where you're not just f scrolling, you're actually doing your due diligence out there in the world and doing your research so that when you find a job, your cover letter is customized to that organization and you're not just sending out cookie cutter stuff. So do you have a similar philosophy about what's so important in the job search process? Um, yes, uh, very similar. And actually, my metaphor is online dating. Um, so while there are certainly plenty of matches that are made successfully online, I think statistics still show that um, the majority of relationships between individuals come from personal interaction and, and meeting thing, people in person. So when I hear that people are just scrolling and submitting and scrolling and submitting, I kind of challenge them to think about other ways to go out and kind of meet their dream match in a job. 
Right, exactly. So yeah, it and if you go to a job fair, it is speed dating. So that's that's a very apt metaphor at certain sure. times. <laughs> so you went to Yale, so to become a nurse practitioner. Yes. And what school did you go to for undergrad or your other degrees? So I went to the Univers- University of Connecticut for my undergraduate degrees, um, where I did a bachelor's in violin performance and Italian literature, which violin you know, was a- <laughs> performance and Italian literature. I can see why you're doing resumes now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I've had a, a, an unconventional career path. I, I spent my undergraduate time kind of fueling my hobbies and interests. And then I realized um, kind of when I was getting ready to graduate that those things weren't exactly how I wanted to set up my career. So that's when I explored and discovered the options to go into the nursing profession. Wow. So Italian and violin, right? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm hopefully going to Italy next September, so I might need a few Italian lessons before sure. I go. Sure. Pick yeah, your brain a little. <laughs> yeah, I'm relatively fluent in Spanish, but you know, I have to I have to work on my Italian for sure. <laughs> so you've been an NP for about eight years, mostly emergency and hospital medicine, right? So have you been like an NP hospitalist? So the uh, my most recent position, um, the emergency department providers or the emergency department NPs also staffed the medical observation unit. So we were cross-trained to both units. So um, it was kind of one day you'd work in the emergency department and then the next day you would see those patients later when they were admitted on the, the observation unit. So it was a mixture of emergency and also hospital medical uh, diagnoses. And that's in the greater New York City, northern New Jersey area, right? Um, well, actually, I just moved to greater New York City area. Uh, this was upstate in Rochester. Uh, we moved this past summer. Oh, okay. And did you have an opportunity to also work as a bedside nurse prior to becoming an NP? I did, but for um, a brief period of time when I was an undergrad and I knew that I wanted to enter the nursing profession. I did already have my sights on being a nurse practitioner. So I applied to direct entry programs uh, and then worked while I was achieving my NP as an RN. Great. Okay. So you've you've seen many different sides of this healthcare nursing journey. So that's yeah. really helpful when you're helping to craft resumes, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Do you also help with cover letters? I do. Yes. And What's your philosophy about cover letters? I'm curious. I have my own, and I really want to know what yours is. Um, My first philosophy is to follow the directions of what people have asked of you. So if you are applying for a position and it says it wants a cover letter or it's a little bit ambiguous, then you go with the cover letter. Um, If you're applying electronically and you're sending an email, I think a cover email is certainly sufficient. Um, But I do think that the majority of job applications, regardless of how you submit them, should have a cover letter unless you're told that it's not necessary. That's true. That's very true. And in terms of crafting a cover letter, I always tell my clients that it needs to work in tandem with the resume and with your LinkedIn profile, actually. And they all need to sort of empower each other with not being 100% redundant. And I feel like the resume needs to tell a story, a compelling story, but it can't be generic. So what I always tell my clients is, if you're looking at a position, 
print out the ad, grab a highlighter, highlight all the keywords. What are the things that they say their mission is about, what the responsibilities of the position are, and what is absolutely required and what's suggested or would be preferred, and then craft language that speaks back to them in their language. And you don't copy it word for word because that's kind of pandering, but you, you try to massage the language so that they feel like you actually know what they're all about. Like I always say, find out what their mission is, or did they win an award recently? Did they recently become a magnet hospital? And mention, I noticed that, you know, such and such hospital um, earned magnet status in 2019. That's awesome. I'm so happy to hear that. Something like that. Do you agree that you're not manipulating the person reading the re- the resume and cover letter, but you're you're letting them know you see them and you're not sending something cookie cutter. Absolutely. I agree that there should be kind of this between the lines messaging of, you know, when someone reads your cover letter and your resume, they should really think, wow, this person is really ideally suited for this position because of those things that you've woven in without copying and pasting the job description or being really blatant, you know, I'm your ideal candidate. Um, Interestingly, I I recently applied for a job because, like I said, I recently moved to this area. So I've been looking around for positions and I sent a cover email and my resume off to this particular location. And I wrote in my email, you know, that I was excited to hear that they were looking for a nurse practitioner. And I had recognized that they were really uh, well respected in the area. And I wrote in parentheses, I've read your reviews on Google exclamation. Mm hmm. And that email got responded to in two hours. Um, Nicely played. Yeah, those personal (laughs) touches, they just, you want, you know, this is, you have to remember that the people reading your documents, this is their job. And you want to make their lives a little bit, their jobs seem a little bit nicer, I guess. So Mm -hmm. any way that you can make them feel that the work that they do is important and that it's recognized, I think will go a long way in this process. Absolutely. And I always say, why make them work really hard? Because people send me their resumes or cover letters. And first I see at the top, they don't have their credentials. It'll say Sally Smith and her address and everything. And I'm like, where are your nursing credentials? Mm-hmm. You paid you paid blood, sweat, tears, and money to get those credentials. You should put them everywhere your name is. And then they sign it without their credentials at the bottom. And I always say, own that stuff. And if I often say like a resume or a LinkedIn profile is kind of like a newspaper. You know, you open the paper and there's headlines and then there's sub headlines. And I always say, you know, the human eye and brain will scan the newspaper. They look at the masthead and on a resume, the masthead is your, your name, your credentials, your contact information. And then the next thing they're going to read your summary, which is sort of like the first few sentences of the first article on the front page of a newspaper. So you'd better hit them over the head with some something really good right away because they're not going to keep reading. So do you agree that that a resume is not read word for word? Is it usually? No, usually not. I recently saw a statistic that most hiring managers or recruiters spend something like less than 15 or even less than 10 seconds looking um, at a resume uh, before deciding whether they're going to continue reading your documents or move on to the next one. 15 seconds. I know. That's that's all you get. So That's that's amazing. I know. And um, so it's important to make your resume scannable, uh, just like a newspaper is with, you know, varying sizes of fonts and headers. Um, 
to use your metaphor, because you want it to be pleasing to the eye. And, you know, when I look at a resume, that's just big blocks of text. It's overwhelming and I'm unlikely to read it word for word. Yeah, I always, you know, I went to art school early in my life, like you studied music and I dropped out of two art schools, you know, (laughs) full disclosure, but I still look at even documents with a kind of a creative eye. And I think I'm looking for negative space because your eye and your brain need places to rest. And if there's no spaces between the paragraphs and everything's crunched together, it's just so hard to read. And speaking of crunched together, let's tackle something that almost everyone comes to me with. I'd say 75% of people who want a resume, they all say that The resume has to be one page because they were told in nursing school during their one hour of professional and career development education that if it's more than one page, you'll never get hired. I disagree with that. And I'm curious what your feelings are about one pagers and how absolutely required it is. I also disagree with that recommendation. (laughs) There's applause in the background. (laughs) Talk to me about Um, that. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I hear that a lot from my community and my clients, you know, how long should my resume be? It's a question that I am answering often. And I think that the majority of junior nurses, so nurses with in their first job or maybe, um, new graduates, I think most of them should be able to achieve a one page resume. And I strongly encourage that. Right. Um, But you want everything that you feature to really earn its way onto the page. And if you have a lot of things that are earning its way onto your resume, then you go onto that second page and you own it. You know, you don't want to stuff it with things that are generic or not relevant. But if you have a lot of achievements to feature and diverse experience that will enhance you as you move forward, I don't think that you should shorten that um, for the sake of trying to get everything on one page. Yeah, I often say that if your resume is going to be unreadable because everything's crunched together and your story is less compelling because you can't even read it because it's overwhelming to the eye, you're doing yourself a disservice. And I always go for that negative space. And if the difference is having a nice little resting space between each section so that the eye can digest each section separately and scan it more easily, then go on to the second page. And if you've been in the process of, you know, if you've been a nurse for 30 years, you're going to have two to three pages because you've got some stories to tell, publications to talk about, and all those sorts of things. So when we come back from a really quick break, I want to talk about you being a working mom, professional nurse practitioner, and a nurse entrepreneur. And then I want to talk a little bit more about resumes and the job search process. So we will be right back with the second half of episode 261 of The Nurse Keith Show. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. This episode of The Nurse Keith Show is sponsored by Incredible Health, where hospitals apply to nurses instead of the other way around. You can create a profile in about three minutes and then sit back and relax as the interview requests for permanent jobs come to you. 
With Incredible Health, nurses and nurse practitioners get hired three times faster than the usual application and hiring process of 90 days or more, and you have access to their support team who help you every step of the way. On average, nurses who get hired through Incredible Health receive a 17% pay increase and a 15% decrease in commute time. They work with more than 200 academic and community hospitals across the country, including Stanford, Baylor Scott and White, and Cedars Sinai. If you're seeking work in California, Florida, Texas, and Illinois, sign up right now. And if you're in another state, check back every month as more states are being regularly added. And if you sign up at incrediblehealth.com forward slash nurse Keith, you'll receive your choice of a Tiffany necklace or Bose Bluetooth speaker once you accept a job offer. I thank Incredible Health for their generous support and remember to head on over to incrediblehealth.com forward slash Nurse Keith. Please consider becoming a patron of the Nurse Keith Show just like other listeners who value the show so much they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support the show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts directly from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith to read all about it. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash nurse Keith. Finally, if someone you know could benefit from career coaching with me, consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit. So you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you refer as many people as you like and can continue to earn coaching credits. What a deal. Those are my sincere asks of you, dear listener. So now let's dig back into today's episode. And thanks for hanging out here at episode 261 of the Nurse Keith Show. We are talking with Amanda Guarnieri of the ResumeRx.com. And Amanda, I finally have the pronunciation of your last name down. <laughs> Thank you for The practicing. first half was a little weak, and the second half I'm getting better. And um, by the end, I think I'll really have it down. So we've been talking about resumes and the job search process and a little bit about your history of education and becoming an NP. So... For a moment, let's dip into your personal life. So you're married, you have a daughter or son? No, three I have, daughters. I have three daughters. How old are they? Uh, the twins are three and a half, and my latest is two and a half months. Oh my gosh. Okay. And the two and a half month year old is at your feet right now, you know, and she's really quiet, right? Pretty much, yes. Absolutely. She's, yeah. she's very skilled. Yeah, she's like, she's podcast pro. Um, so... Your husband, is he in healthcare? No, he works in the nonprofit sector. And he works in New York City. Yes. Yep. Right. So he commutes into the city. And what's it like being one, a nurse practitioner, two, a mom, and three, a nurse entrepreneur? How do you do it? So it's cha <laughs> it's challenging. Um, you know, the only one of those three things that I do full time is be a mom, um, which is part of what kind of got me into entrepreneurship to begin with. You know, I became a nurse practitioner before I was married and before I had kids. Um, and when I became a mom three and a half, four years ago, um, it really kind of rocked my professional world uh, because I found myself 
you know, resenting work a little bit. I was never able to be kind of fully present in my job. And and if I got into that zone where I was fully present, there was this sense of guilt that I didn't rather prefer to be home with my kids. So navigating that was challenging for me. So I really had to examine kind of what I wanted out of my life personally, what I wanted professionally. I had these kind of entrepreneurial ideas swirling around in my head as well. So what ended up happening was after I, um, after I went back to work, after having the twins, after paying off my student loans, I went half time. <laughs> <laughs> I went 20 hours a week at the hospital so that I could be home more with my kids and also start this uh, business that I had been contemplating. Wow. And how long has the Resume Rx been in existence? Since July of 2018. Yeah. So I think I found you right around the time you launched because I think I started following you sometime in 2018 or early or early 2019. Mm -hmm. And I was so happy to find you and full disclosure to the audience and those listening that I am now an affiliate of the resume RX and that affiliate is on nursekeith.com under the resources. So you can actually go and purchase any of Amanda's templates for her resumes and you can download that template and then work with me on the content or you can hire Amanda and Amanda is going to be consulting with me on certain resumes when I have questions so anyone working with Nurse Keith coaching is also going to have the benefit of the second pair of eyes from Amanda at the Resume RX examining your resume and making sure it's really exactly the way it's supposed to be. Because like I said, I have resume expertise and Amanda is like the mega expert. So we're bringing her into the fold here so she can help me help you or help you directly have the best resume possible and get you your dream job, as she mentioned earlier in the show. So anyway, I just wanted to say that out loud and let people know that that you and I are now teaming up to really benefit nurses who work with me and you, or me and or you. <laughs> so when it comes to resumes, what other myths are out there and what do people still put on the resumes that shouldn't be there anymore? So something that I see happen a lot is that nurses will put things in under job descriptions that are really things that should be assumed. Um, so for example, under a job description, they might regurgitate the nursing process, like administered medications and recorded things in the medical record. Um, now that's something that, you know, I'm assuming that you can do as a nurse that really doesn't earn its way onto the page, so to speak. Um, so a lot of times people get bogged down in highlighting their job description rather than their job achievements. So that's always something that I like to challenge people on and encourage them to um, feature what they have done rather than um, kind of the duties of the job. Right, right. Because we do see on resumes people saying, I've seen actually people say um, practicing the nursing process, assessment, diagnosis, planning, intervention, et cetera, et cetera. And you're right. You assume people know how to do that. So you don't have to say you're good at vital signs because you probably learned that the first week 
of nursing school, if not prior. And you really need to highlight, like you said, accomplishments. And I always say, if you have anything quantifiable, like you're a manager and you've had 5% attrition of your direct reports in the five years you've been a manager, or if you took over um, a med surge unit and UTIs, nosocomial UTIs have gone down 37% in the time you've been there. That's important, right? Like real accomplishments. Absolutely. Um, Though I do find that staff nurses who are not in leadership roles really struggle to pick up on those things that they can they can feature because maybe they don't have those types of accomplishments yet um, or they don't have those statistics. So I usually encourage staff nurses who aren't in leadership to, if they're having some sort of evaluation process annually, usually leaders will keep track of you know, discharge times, for example, or your pain reassessment times, those are reports that could possibly be pulled up for you. Um, And there's no harm in asking. Uh, It will show to your manager that you're interested in how valuable you are as an employee. And it also gives you some juice for your resume, so to speak. Um, And then getting involved in committees and featuring those types of things on your resume as a staff nurse, I think is really valuable as well. Oh, right. So there's volunteerism in the community, which is good to put on your resume, like you're you're a volunteer hospice, whatever, or you work at the boys club or the girls club. You know, that's important because it shows you're involved in your community and it paints kind of a wider picture of you as a human being that, oh, this person gives back and this person has these interests. So that's cool. And but in terms of volunteerism at work, I often talk about committees or is there some initiative or study you can get involved in? Is there research going on and you can get your name on that research publication? Don't you think there's there's a lot of opportunity to get involved even though you're super, super busy and maybe exhausted? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I agree that it's uh, there are a lot of ways to get involved. Sometimes you have to seek those opportunities out, mm-hmm. uh, but sometimes you may be approached and asked to be on a committee. So rather than seeing that as an additional obligation, see it as an opportunity to really show that you can go above and beyond in your workplace setting and and give you something else to focus on as opposed to kind of the day in and day out duties of bedside care, which, you know, sometimes it's nice to exercise a different part of your brain professionally. Absolutely. Right. And, you know, if you came up with a new idea, say a new procedure for, I don't know, um, onboarding a new employee, you saw something, you saw a hole in the process and you initiated that, you know, you could claim that on your resume and claim responsibility for, for bringing that idea forward or anything that you've done that has benefited your workplace, your colleagues, your patients, especially if it's quantifiable. But we can also have qualifiable information too. And, you know, back in the day, at the end of a resume, people always put references available upon request. And my feeling and opinion is that we know you have references and we're going to ask you for them. So why put that on your resume? What do you think of that? I completely agree. I never put that on my personal resume or my client's resumes. And if they're asking me for advice, I say, please take it off. Okay. Now, how about a headshot? Some people like to put a headshot in their resume. I think that headshots are best suited for executive level nurses. 
So C-suite, chief nursing officer, that type of thing. I think that bedside nurses um, and even uh, nurse leaders on the unit level probably don't need to include that. And why is that? Why is a headshot helpful if you're a C-suite or you're going for a C-suite position? What does that do for you in that particular circumstance? I think that it potentially adds to kind of your personal brand, so to speak, when you're when you're up at that level um, of a position, your personal branding becomes really important. So, you know, do you have a mission statement? What are you known for, not only as a person, but kind of as a brand as, quote unquote, the nurse executive? And I think adding a photo there helps contribute to portraying that brand, whatever you decide it should be. I see. And if you have a LinkedIn profile, which you should have, uh, you can use the headshot from there if you have a really nice headshot done. Absolutely. Right? Okay. Speaking of LinkedIn, I always want people to do LinkedIn. And I tell them their profile is a resume on steroids because it has endorsements and skills and recommendations from real people who put their reputation on the line by writing you a recommendation that's actually linked to their profile. So if you get some great recommendations on LinkedIn, that's like gold. And I always say, if you're going to have a great LinkedIn profile, which every single professional in the world should have, I have to say, you should make sure you have a a customized URL, which LinkedIn makes it easy to have so that it's your name as part of the URL and not tons of numbers and letters jumbled together. And I always recommend putting that URL in the letterhead of your resume along with your contact information. Are you on board with that idea? And do you feel that LinkedIn and your resume should really work in tandem in this particular respect? I, I completely agree. Um, I do find that there's a lot of resistance, though. I'm not sure if you see the same thing, but, you know, I'll ask the question, hey, you know, of bedside nurses or even new graduate nurse practitioners. Hey, are you on LinkedIn? What are you doing on this platform to kind of present yourself professionally? And are you including it in your application documents? And I get a lot of pushback of people not understanding why um, nursing professionals should be on LinkedIn. But you know, for the reasons that you just mentioned, it really is a powerful, a powerful platform and can give you kind of that, um, that concept of professional or social proof. You know, we're, we do all this online shopping this day and age. And I don't know about you, but I shop based on reviews. Me too. So if I'm looking for something new and it's got above four stars on Amazon, you, you know, as opposed to something that has two stars, I'm going to buy the thing that has more stars and more reviews. Uh, and LinkedIn, like you said, can completely do that for us professionally by getting endorsement of our professional peers. So it's a super valuable platform, but I, I'm finding a lot of nurses have trouble buying in. They do. And they often say, I don't do social media. You know, and I always say LinkedIn is kind of social media. It's actually a search engine and it's disguised as social media. And the mm -hmm. search engine is the important part, though you can use the social media aspect to connect with people and follow organizations, et cetera, and get involved in in great conversations on the feed. But it's really about you, right? Absolutely. And especially if you are in a very um, niche field in nursing or you want to be, like you said, it's a search engine and 
people who are looking for a very specific type of nurse, people being hiring managers or even recruiters, they're going to type that into the search bar on LinkedIn. And if your name comes up first, you know, that's really going to push you forward, even if you weren't looking for an opportunity. Uh, you know, for example, I wrote a continuing education course last year for um, a CE company. And in my LinkedIn profile at the time, because I was doing some writing as well, it said, um, what did it say? Medical writer or nurse medical writer or mm -hmm. something. I, you know, I had included that type of keyword because I wanted people to be able to find me in case they needed a medical writer. And sure enough, someone found me and it turned into, you know, a renewing contract, mm -hmm. an, an opportunity that I technically wasn't even looking for, but someone found me as a result. That really happens. And search engines work on keywords. They really do. Yeah. Just like Google, it's a different algorithm, but still those keywords help you. And most people don't know that on LinkedIn in the back end, under your privacy and uh, communication settings or notification settings, you can actually flip a switch and it will actually flag your LinkedIn profile to recruiters telling them that you're looking for a job. Mm. So there's this little switch you can hit in your privacy settings. It's simple, takes a second, and then they'll start getting notifications and you'll be flagged as someone looking for a job. And several recruiters have told me over the years that Sometimes they'll hold back a couple jobs and rather than posting them, they will scroll LinkedIn looking for the right candidate. So I've heard Ooh. that there it's not a ton of jobs, but there are there are sometimes jobs out there that you're not going to find anywhere else. And there are jobs on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. too, that you can apply for. And I always say that you're going to get Googled by most potential employers. So what do you think? What's the percentage of hiring managers or HR professionals who will Google a potential candidate prior to calling them for an interview? I would say way more than half, um, okay. if, I, if I had to guess. Um, mm -hmm. You know, having been on the other side and, and assisting with the hiring process, you know, that's something that happens. They're going to Google your name uh, and potentially look for your social profiles as well. So that kind of brings up a whole other topic <laughs> of how you should present yourself on your on your social media profiles and your privacy and that type of thing. Um, but what you really want is when someone Googles your name, ideally, the first thing that will pop up is a beautifully prepared LinkedIn profile so that. You know, they're looking at your resume on paper, they're Googling you, and then they're seeing your resume again online. You are absolutely reading my mail. <laughs> that is so awesome. Okay. So we're really on board together on a lot of these issues. So I'm glad, um, I'm glad, but I'd be happy for you to disabuse me of any bad opinions <laughs> I have. So, so far I'm batting, I'm doing pretty well with Amanda. So, um, We've covered LinkedIn. We've talked about, we've covered cover letters. Um, in terms of this whole process of applying for jobs, are there any hacks or techniques or strategies you often recommend to people who are in the job market, especially those who have some sort of quote unquote liability? that they're dealing with. Let's say they were fired or laid off. Maybe they have a mark against their license at the BON and they, at the board of nursing, and they're a little bit there. There's a red flag on their license, or maybe like I hear from people a lot, a mother coming back into nursing after 
not working for 17 years and saying, oh my God, how do I even make myself look valuable? What do you say to the people, especially those with these sorts of and other liabilities? I usually recommend that if you have anything in your history that you perceive as a weakness, try to present it honestly, but present it as a positive. So if you, you know, as a mom who's been home for plenty of years, if you think that it's a weakness that you've been out of the nursing profession, I encourage you to kind of reframe your mindset uh, and think about how that could be a positive thing. So for to use that example, someone could be refreshed and eager to dive back into the nursing field. They've gained years of caregiver experience raising their children, and maybe they would take an RN refresher course, um, and they would have you know, a, a renewed look on all their skills that they previously had and that they're now learning the right way over again. So you could argue no bad habits, not jaded, not burnt out, you know, all ways that you can kind of reframe that weakness to present it positively. And that would be done in the cover letter and also in the interview process? Yes, I think the majority of that's going to be kind of massaged in the interview process, but it is smart to, if there's a large gap like that or a large red flag that the employer would otherwise pick up on, I think that it's good to face that head on and acknowledge it in some way, um, either in the professional profile or in the cover letter, even just one or two lines saying, you know, uh, registered nurse with X number of years of experience prior to taking time off to raise a family, eager to re-enter the nursing profession, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Let me dial this in a little bit more now, because I can hear someone out there screaming, what about, what about <laughs> this? What about that? So here's one for you. Let's say a nurse, and this is from a real life, a nurse graduates from nursing school, maybe cum laude, like really high achiever. However, as soon as she graduates, there's several people in her family who are really, really sick. Let's say a sibling and an aunt or a grandparent or something. And she actually can't enter the workforce because she has to care for these people. And it goes on for several years. Mm. And she actually doesn't even have time to find a per diem job because she has two really sick family members. And she's the one everyone is leaning on for care and advice and expertise. Three years later, she's ready to enter the workforce. Does she put that on her resume as a quote unquote position or does she just talk about it in her summary and her cover letter? How do you spin that particular experience? That's a good example. I would probably not list it under a particular work experience, but mm -hmm. put it in the profile in the cover letter saying, you know, entering the nursing profession after three years as a personal caregiver for ill family members and just kind of leave it as one sentence, acknowledge that there's a gap, because if you don't say anything, then people might not even call you because they'll look at the resume and say, okay, you graduated three years ago. What have you been doing? Mm -hmm. um, but to at least make a nod, hey, I know that this could be perceived negatively, but here's what I've been doing. And then, you know, that honesty up front, I think will help get the interview. And then in the interview, you can talk as much as you're comfortable with about that experience. And if you're explaining it, you're going to say 
how you actually did use your nursing skills just in an informal way caring for, you know, your sick family members as opposed to in a employed position. Right. That's great. And with this particular person, what we did is we went a little bit further and we talked about in her cover letter how caring for these two severely ill disabled family members, she she participated in care coordination, multidisciplinary collaboration. She managed meds. She did G-tubes. She managed IVs. You know, we, we listed out the things she did, which were actually pretty high-level nursing stuff. So I think it painted a pretty good picture of her history. So we went a little further. And is that admissible if there's like really high-quality stuff to communicate? Oh, absolutely. Because okay. it, it'll show the employer that, you know, you took time to care for a family member, but that you also were practicing skills in the process. And, you know, think of that compared to if you hadn't mentioned it at all, the the perception that the potential employer is going to have, you know, someone who's spent three years doing who knows what versus someone who spent three years being a nurse just at home with their family member. Right. It's just an unpaid position. Right. Right. Like raising a child is unpaid work I agree. <laughs> and that's, you know, or or caring for um, elderly parent with CHF and Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Right. There, there's a lot involved in doing that. Sure. And you can you can spin that in a positive direction. Now, let's just dig a little deeper now. What about the person who diverted narcotics and was on a two-year probation and this mark on his or her resume or his or her license is permanent and how do you deal with that what do you do and how do you address it is it head-on do you you know it's a very very stressful thing for a lot of people out there and I often feel so bad for them because I know they didn't do it out of nefarious purposes it just they got caught up in something so what do you say and what do you do with someone in that position this is so important yes so that's a little bit more tricky because you I think this could be an example of if you don't face it head-on it could be perceived as kind of a a lie by omission because it's information that the potential employer is going to discover and should discover. That's something that a potential employer needs to know because it becomes a liability as you as you referred to before. So I think finding a um, creative way to address it head on is important and it requires a little bit of finesse. So mm-hmm. um, I think that you can say things in the cover letter. You can say things in the professional profile, you know, talk about what you learned from the experience and, you know, what your rehabilitation looks like. Um, but this may be a scenario where you would want to also make a phone call um, mm-hmm. and choose the positions you're applying to wisely. So definitely not apply for every single position, but rather Mm -hmm. decide what the rest of your professional career will look like, what you want it to look like, uh, which may be kind of formed based on that prior experience and be more um, particular with how you're going to communicate with that potential employer. So send your resume, send your cover letter and leave a phone message. I'd like to discuss, you know, my application with you. Um, and hopefully that phone conversation will help, um, will help things in one way or the other. 
That's great advice. Sometimes you just can't even find a name of someone to call. So sometimes it's a little difficult. This is where networking comes in. And this is where I tell people, if you have a major liability, like a diversion program or something like that, or maybe you did something and a patient was harmed or killed. So this stuff happens and it's terrible, but it's the reality. So what I often say is this is where actual relationships matter. So if you have a robust LinkedIn profile and a pretty robust network and you're connected with a lot of people, that can help Mm -hmm. in terms of references and getting introductions to people. And I often say, talk to the people you know who still love and respect and admire you no matter what happened in your career and say, could you give me a warm introduction Not just a name and a phone number, but a warm introduction to somebody who I could actually meet with. Like, send an email and CC me on it, introducing me to your friend who's a CNO. And then you take that and say, may I please come in for an informational interview? Not a formal interview. You bring your resume, you know, whatever you've got, business card, everything. And then sit with that person and just be honest. And if someone meets you, looks you in the eye, maybe has a cup of coffee with you, or you just have a conversation, and they take a shine to you, that person might end up being your champion, saying, you know, April's a pretty cool person. I see she got into some trouble, but having met her, I think I want to give her a chance. Or I'm going to introduce her to my cousin across town, who's the chief nursing officer of a nursing home, and I think she might take a shine to to April as well. Do you recommend those sorts of like what I would call guerrilla networking? Yeah, I actually I really like that process. And it's a similar process that I recommend to people who have been searching for a long time, even if they don't have this type of liability, and they feel that their area is oversaturated, you know, reaching out to someone a professional contact asking for a referral um, because I recently read a statistic that the majority of jobs are filled by referrals, even if you don't have that type of liability. So that's a good process to have, but especially, mm-hmm. especially if you have the, that type of liability, sitting down with for an informational interview, um, I think is a, a great, uh, a great tool that can hopefully move things forward because you may be up against um, a lot of hard stops if you're only submitting things electronically or dropping them off. Right. And that goes back to my stool metaphor where, you know, you have all your nuts and bolts. That's one leg. The other leg is the, you know, having all the other things in place, your network. And then the other one is actually like pounding the pavement and talking to people and getting in front of people. Because if you have a liability, you need to go the extra mile. For sure. And I always, you know, I understand taking 18 years off to raise your children. However, if you're going to do that, even taking five years or two years off, at least volunteer once a month or work for um, health care for the homeless and do outreach every other week. Just do something that you can say you've been active in some way. I just think it's a good idea. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Now, let's let's switch tracks here for the end of the show. I want to hear more about your journey as an entrepreneur. So what is it like for you being a part-time nurse entrepreneur with a side hustle and 
working and mothering. So how do you balance that? And do you enjoy this this kind of multifaceted life? I, I absolutely enjoy it. And um, currently I'm not working. I'm on maternity leave. So I've had a little bit more time to dedicate to my business. And I'll be honest with you, I love it so much <laughs> that sometimes I wonder um, if this could ever become my full-time you know, my, not just my side hustle, but my front hustle. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's really rejuvenated me professionally. Um, Mm -hmm. when I first started the business, I had just paid off my loans and, you know, I went to Yale, so you can only imagine how much, um, money I had to pay back and eight grand or so. (laughs) Right. Um, and it really left me a little bit disenchanted in my job. I was working a lot of overtime. Um, I never got to keep my own paycheck because I was just paying it back, paying it back. And to be able to step back a little bit from the clinical position and start something new really and and help other nurses and other nursing professionals in a way that came so easily to me, but made such a difference in their lives. You know, Mm -hmm. it, it gave me the satisfaction that I didn't know I was missing. I always figured that that professional satisfaction was going to come just from patient care. Right. Um, but honestly I get just as much, if not more satisfaction, you know, helping people professionally. So it's been a shock. I really thought it was just going to be something supplemental to do on the side so that I didn't have to work 40 hours a week. Um, But now it's really kind of turned into something that I see kind of being with me a while and, and hopefully growing. Wow. Well, you and I are on parallel paths. I had a side hustle doing all this stuff, podcasting, writing, coaching, speaking for about seven years. And I left my last job as a chief nursing officer three years ago. So I've been fully self-employed for three years. So it can be done. It's a scary thing to take that leap. And you also have dependents. You have children. I. It's just me and my wife and our cat, George. So, you know, mm-hmm. George doesn't have, we don't have to put him through school or anything. So, you know, he pees a lot, <laughs> but, you know, he's pretty easy to entertain. So you have a lot more at stake here as a mother of three children you know, an infant and two toddler twins, right? So you have a lot going on and a lot at stake. And I know your husband works in the nonprofit world. So we all know that nonprofit world doesn't always support a family on one salary. Maybe it can, but it's hard. And you live in an expensive part of the country. So I can see how you really have to think carefully if you're going to go full bore into entrepreneurship. And I, I encourage you to because I think you're amazing and you and I could do some amazing stuff together too. But that's another conversation. <laughs> so if people want to find you, they go to theresumerx.com. You're on Facebook. It's The Resume Rx. Instagram, The Resume Rx. Twitter. And then you are also on LinkedIn. We're going to have links to all of this in the show notes at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 261. And I encourage anyone listening, if you want to have a chat with Amanda, if you want to check out any of what she does, her blog, please go visit her and hit her up on social media. If you want to connect with her on LinkedIn, please send her a personalized invitation and say that you heard her on the Nurse Keith show. And remember that you can actually purchase her templates through nursekeith.com in the resources drop down. And that is full disclosure and affiliate 
uh, relationship. And Amanda's going to be involved in some of the resume reviews that I'm doing for clients. So you are going to be really benefiting from her incredible expertise and knowledge and insight. So Amanda, this is so awesome. And we're going to have to do this again maybe later this year or next year, and just revisit some of this and maybe take a deeper dive into some of this other stuff around jobs and the market. Would you be into that? Absolutely. I think kind of this arena is always changing, so there's always updates to learn about, so I'd be honored. Hooray. That's great. So thank you so much. You are just, you're so awesome, and I am just so tickled to to be working with you and, and have you in my sphere. It's really a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. The feeling is mutual. <laughs> well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to episode 261 of the Nurse Keith Show and those show notes, which you're wanting to check out, are at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 261. And I encourage you to connect with Amanda on all her platforms. Like her, follow her, share her stuff, and definitely connect with her on LinkedIn. I hope you feel uplifted, empowered, and informed from this episode, and I want you to take inspired action every day in the interest of your personal and professional satisfaction and contentment, and I'm sure Amanda does too. And if you need personalized career coaching, please hit me up at nursekeith.com. And did you know there are also job listings at nursekeith.com in the resources section? You can find them there, ZipRecruiter, Reload, etc. And there are other free and paid resources you're definitely going to want to avail yourself of. The Nurse Keith Show is expertly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting, and Mark Capispeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster. I'm grateful to both Rob and Mark for keeping the wheels turning in the right direction. So this is Nurse Keith signing off from beautiful and chilly Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Amanda Guarnieri signing off from... Alpine, New Jersey. Alpine, New Jersey. And that's the state of my birth. I'm a Jersey Mm -hmm. boy. Tried and true. Amanda, thank you. And we will catch everyone next time here on The Nurse Keith Show.